Hey guys, it's Jordan here. We are on the Tough Topics podcast, and I'd just like to welcome all of you beautiful SOBs onto here. I'm here with my friend Patrick. What's happening, beautiful SOBs? One of the main points we're going to be trying to bring up, the United States election of 2020. It's definitely the most apparent. It's the most apparent, and I mean, we want to emphasize the fact that we are being forced to pick between a turd sandwich and a giant douche. Like I was telling Jordan before we started today, uh, I feel like I was in a restaurant, and I was given a menu, presented with choice, and when the waiter showed up to actually take my order, he took my menu away, and then said that the specials were exactly like Jordan said, a shit sandwich or chicken noodle soup. That's what I, I go with, but... Yeah, the big problem, in my opinion, is that during this entire primary season, it seemed as though they felt the need to prop up Joe Biden as the most electable because of the fact that he was President Obama, or as I like to call him, the um, the drone strike in chief. They wanted to emphasize that, hey, this was this was Barack Obama's vice president. You know, we should elect him on this on this basis, even though he's got a 47-year career of constantly marginalizing people that are already marginalized. You know that whole youth movement that you know younger people were getting into politics? Yeah, let's push that aside. We need to go back to establishment politics. I don't think uh, America's ready for change, even though that was Obama's whole shtick. Well, yeah, of course. Yes, we can became no, we can't really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> like, man, these last four years, it feels like a millennia. It feels like a decade has passed, and I'm 24. Just these last couple weeks, even, with everything from the reveal of Bob Woodward's interview with Trump and as much as we want to bash the situation and potentially put blame somewhere, the tough subject that we're trying to talk about is Jordan suggested the overall election and the truth that there is choice. The truth that it's not just between the sandwich or the uh, giant douche. Thank you. <laughs> it's that you actually do have a menu. It's just we don't know. A lot of people aren't aware of what is on the menu. Yeah, precisely, because we have draconian debate rules in the United States about how, unless they're polling at 15%, we don't allow the third-party candidates onto the stage. And I think that that is by design, because if we were to run people out there who actually have a platform befitting the people of the United States of America, say, Howie Hawkins, or my choice for president, Gloria Lariva, it would be, it would be a dog walking. I think that PSL, even the Libertarians and the Greens would all dog walk the Republicans and the Democrats on the debate stage. I think that that isn't even up for discussion if anybody saw the first debate. Yeah, the first debate, I think people are trying to forget <laughs> as quickly as possible with the new rule that there's going to be a mute available. You know, that brings in the question, the legitimacy of the debate as brought along by the Trump campaign. They think that it's unfair, but it's the breaking of the sanctity of the debate with all the interruptions, disorder, and chaos that they brought about this new rule that was never established before. Because like many things of the Trump presidency, it's unprecedented. Yeah, like whether you're a Trumper, whether you're a never-Trumper, or whether you're on the left, or you're a lib. I think everybody can agree that the last four years have been absolutely unprecedented in scope. And it's really disappointing because, you know, full disclosure, I think most of the people that are going to end up listening to this know, I'm a massive nerd. So one of my favorite things to look at when I'm just hanging out at home is the Kennedy-Nixon debate like we were talking about. Yeah. 
And when you watch it, you realize that this is a substantive debate about issues. Each of these men, you can tell they had legitimate respect for each other and they tried to keep the discussion policy focused. Whereas in this debate that just passed, Donald Trump is attempting to paint somebody with the voting record of a neocon as some radical socialist Antifa grandpa. And it just doesn't work. Well, the whole, that's Trump's MO. Like Trump's whole landing deal with voters is that he isn't conventional and he's willing to use mudslinging as his main weapon. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. That's what people like because that's where he connected with blue collar voters. Anyway, <laughs> we do have to get onto the tough topic of who these choices are, right, Jordan? Like, yeah. what, what kind of options do we have? Because so far, you know, we're just continuing a conversation that's been had over the last year. Oh, yeah. So pretty much the choices that we have as third-party candidates are the two biggest ones that have been thrown around in most leftist circles have been Howie Hawkins and Gloria Lariva. Howie Hawkins and the Greens, they're eco-socialists. they the party of the original Green New Deal. A lot, oh, of really? pe- a lot of people don't realize that the Greens' version of the Green New Deal is significantly more expansive than the Democrats' version of the Green New Deal. They just effectively co-opted it. Mm. The Greens are, uh, like I said, they're eco-socialists, so their main focus, relatively speaking, is, is the climate, is combating climate change. And I think that is a very noble cause to put at the forefront of your platform because, as we all know, climate change is an existential crisis. It, in my opinion, it is the existential crisis of our generation. And there's a reason why, for most young people, they list climate change as the number one policy that they want to hear about in regards to how we're going to combat it, how we're going to deal with it, how we're going to adjust to the fact that the new reality is places like California are literally going to be on fire. Yeah, it's frightening. Before I, uh, just a little fun fact about me, I recently left my job. Uh, (laughs) And As I was leaving my job and getting in contact with the leave of absence department, one of the things that they were talking about was if your career with Amazon is being interfered with hurricanes, wildfires, and just talking about all these natural destructive things going on, it blows my mind. The elements of the world are falling apart and we still have people denying or saying that it's even a contentious subject that our impact on the environment, whether it's there or it's not. And like, that's crazy to me, man. That's just nuts. I, when I was in Caldwell, when we were in Caldwell, yeah. we were on a debate mm-hmm. for 2016's election. Yeah. And I was in support of the environment. Mm-hmm. And I was up against one of our fellow colleagues. And in this discussion, I did get a little heated. Yes. Because the argument from the opposition was in support of Trump. And They were talking about how our footmark on the environment isn't that impactful, that it's a natural phenomenon for climate change to happen. And we've heard these arguments, but the thing that Democrats and people of the Green Party, people that associate with the Green New Deal, right, they're the ones that are trying to push for innovative growth towards climate change. Yeah, exactly. And there was also legislation in the House of Representatives that was authored by Tulsi Gabbard. It's called the OFF Act. I would look it up. It is phenomenal. I'm going to look that up right now. Me personally, I'm a massive fan of the OFF Act because it aims to eliminate emissions. Hang on, before you get too much into that, how much do you spell, or how do you spell, uh, how do you spell that? The OFF Act is O-F-F, 
Oh, off fact. It sounded like you said all fact. <laughs> it's fine. I understand. OFF. I have a tendency to mumble clearly. And then there's the PSL, which is the Party of Socialism and Liberation, which I voted for because I am a socialist and I am an anti-imperialist. And that is very important to me because unlike the two warmongering parties at the top of the ticket and with all of the media coverage, I don't endorse the bombing of young brown children overseas. No, that's, that's not cool at all, man. We don't do that here. Like, we shouldn't do that here, but we've been doing it for the longest time. And, like, socialism, it's scary to a lot of people. I know for me, when people have called me a socialist, it's always in a derogatory term. It's not, oh, well, yeah, he's a socialist. He's cool. He knows what he's talking about. It's always like, oh, he's a stupid social communist. Like, it always is synonymous. Oh, you just want handouts. Oh, yeah. Well, you don't want to work for anything. You want free college. You want to get paid to not go to work during a pandemic when everybody should be working and doing their fair share. Meanwhile, technically speaking, the actual working party or platform or idea is socialism. Socialism literally is defined as workers seizing the means of production. It yeah. is the most pro-union ideology to, to ever exist. It's, one can argue that, technically speaking, we're talking about workers' rights. Most unions were formed by a socialist leader. That goes to the next point where we were going to talk about the final two between Trump and Biden. Yeah, we'll save them for last. Everybody knows about them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, the, the unknowns, like you just brought up, the PSL, I've actually never even heard of them, and I had my ballot. I handed it in. I voted for the Green Party, by the way. <laughs> Screw you, Dems. You burnt my man Bernie. That's not cool. Not oh, right. listen. What they've done to Bernie in 2016 and in 2020, what they what the Democratic Party has risked doing and has done for a lot of people in our demographic is you have alienated young people to a point where a lot of them have completely lost faith with electoralism, with electoral politics in general. Yeah. And that is a problem because these are the people you need. You need, in order to form the backbone of your party, you need young people involved. And that is what made the Sanders campaign so carefree, in my opinion, honestly. The first set of unprecedented events was his movement. Well, yeah, because for the first time in American history, young people felt like somebody actually gave a shit about them. And it's crazy because young people gave him money knowing that they had the chance of getting it back in forms of socialized college or socialized cost of college and healthcare for all, things that are prevailing in other socially democratic nations that share ideals with Bernie's people or the PSL party or the Green Party, which we'll get into those a little bit more as well before we get into the Biden and Trump discussion. Everybody knows about the Biden and Trump discussion, but this is tough topics. And the tough topics is discerning what you don't know and yeah. making it on the dinner menu. Oh, there it is. Now we're talking spicy. See, the thing for me personally, I know f what happened to me was this year thinking about it with Sanders 2020 is the fact that Bernie, the first month after he suspended, still led all of the field in individual donations. Amazing. And it's because when you form a movement that actually speaks to the problems of young people, transparent, transparency, and when you promote an agenda that is meant to inspire working class people, 
that's real energy. And it really bothers me that the Democratic Party felt the need to manufacture consent for Joe Biden because that's what they did. They manufactured consent. All of every single mainstream media news network literally did nothing but say Biden is the most electable, Bernie is a communist, Bernie is a socialist, which by the way, Bernie Sanders is a social democrat. Bernie Sanders and the progressive agenda is about establishing a social democracy. It is not radical in any way, shape, or form. And anybody that is trying to tell you that it is a radical agenda or idea clearly has no clue what they're talking about. Q1946, Britain's idea of socialized healthcare, that was established after the end of the World War Second, because, hello, the Europe was torn apart. Everybody needed help. So the best way to galvanize that support was to give everybody that help. And who is better than doing that? No other than the centralized effort of the government, which is exactly why parties like the PSL, Green Party, even Libertarians, maybe? I don't know. I don't know a lot about the Libertarians. But I do know that the idea of social democracy in the forms of its health care and stuff like that, those things, those are the things that people need and can be best suitable. I know Libertarians are against the government for that. <laughs> I just remember that now. <laughs> but with the parties like PSL and Green Party, they want to push for the Green New Deal, which is in support of a stronger centralized government, which can in turn solve problems like, oh, I don't know, COVID? Um, I don't know, climate change? Universal health care? Things that the Democrats are willing to put on hold in order to get voters from the Republicans because these parties are led by archaic figures that still think that it's just a two-party system. Exactly. And the worst part about that is the leaders of our opposition party, in this case being the Democratic Party, are absolutely spineless. They're absolutely gutless. They have no idea how to fight for a single thing because you've got Nancy Pelosi who all the blue check and wine mom liberals love because... Yes, queen. Oh, man, she ripped the hell out of that paper. That <laughs> I felt that. That definitely, put, that definitely put food on the table for me and my family. How vociferously she ripped that piece of paper. Meanwhile... What, what paper are you talking about, Jordan? Um, at the State of the Union when she went... Oh. And she did the yes, queen I'm sorry, clap. there's just been so much controversy and things going on that it just kind of fell under the radar for me. But thank you for reminding me of yet another reason why I don't like the Democrats. Yes, because yes, queen, that definitely put people that definitely put food on everyone's table yes, the way queen, she ripped that piece of paper. Mama. You know, it's not like she's been passing every single military budget and defense budget and police budget and, you know, endorsing every single actual helpful government agency budget cut that Trump has proposed. And yet nobody talks about that. They want to talk about the way that she clapped and the way that she ripped that piece of paper apart. You know what's funny? Trump brought up early on in his presidency, he brought up term conditions. Yeah. for senators and congresspeople. So setting term limits for these career politicians that have been ruining us for the last three decades, a.k.a. Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Chuck Schumer. Oh, God. Oh, let's not forget Lindsey Graham. Oh, my goodness. You can't forget Lindsey Graham. Oh, it's great. Do you know how happy I am that there's a legitimate chance he's going to lose his Senate seat to a black man? I really hope they all lose their Senate seat, dog. They all need to. It's well, been a long time coming. The problem for me, like particularly with Schumer, is that Schumer puts on this public facade, like he's this big tough guy, and he's yet from New York. Oh yeah, and <laughs> consistently he is 
him and the Democrats in the Senate are literally the bowling pins, and the Republican Party and Donald Trump has been the bowling ball, just hitting a strike anytime they argue about anything. Because here's an example. Why did they legitimize the Senate hearing for Amy Coney Barrett when, technically speaking, the Republicans could have voted without the Democrats? Why are there commercials for it? Because, of course, you know, in our capitalistic society, we need to advertise everything. That and also, the funniest part about that is we don't vote on the Supreme Court justice. So an ad, which, by the way, that's if the government or the Republican Party, I don't know who's paying for that shit, but somebody's paying for it. And if I find out something we can look up right now, if I find out that we're paying for it out of our tax dollars, when that money, instead of it being sent to Russian COVID relief, it could be sent to Schumer's backyard, you know, given given our boys and girls here and anybody not gender associated, we can give them the COVID relief they need. Yeah, because that's that's been the number one topic and it's going to be the number one topic of tonight's debate. This isn't going to be airing until a future date, but we are recording on Thursday, the day of the last debate of the 2020 election. And that's why we're going to bring it. We're going to bring these facts to you live about tough topics. Like my big problem, honestly, in general, is there's this public perception that the Democratic Party is the good guys and the Republicans are the bad guys. In all honesty, that's just childish. That's an absolutely childish way to look at politics because you know what, at the end of the day, the only difference is when the Republicans are trying to kill you and try to take food off your table and trying to punish you and your family, they stab you with a knife in front of you. Whoa, the party of family values going in for, what's the term for uh, family murder? It's not patricide, (laughs) that's crazy. Murder's murder, like, When the Democrats do it, they give you a nice, solemn hug, and then they just stick that knife in your back, and they just twist it. It's a warm knife, too. Exactly. Every single time. And it really bothers me that people really believe this, because at the end of the day, we don't have COVID relief because the Democrats wanted to put Green New Deal legislation into the CARES Act, which is pretty much inviting the Republicans to veto it. And on the Republican side, their act, besides being pure garbage, it was it was hilarious. Honestly, the sheer gall that they had. In that act, there was literally $731 million set aside for fighter jets. In, in, in the a CARES co- Act? No, not in the CARES Act. In the, the GOP-led bill. Oh, man. Wait, and fighter jets are going to fight COVID? I didn't I mean, know it was in the air like that. And it could be shot down. I mean, at the end of the day, they need to make sure that they fund the military-industrial complex. I mean, you know who signs both parties' checks. There's a reason why we unabashedly support Israel, even though Israel is, I mean, pretty much committing mass genocide on the Palestinian people. By the way, I'm fully and unashamedly pro-Palestine on this podcast, and in general. If you can, if you can tell, we're for revolution. <laughs> we are definitely uh, against establishment here. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say that because here's the thing. At my core, I do still believe in electoralism. I will say 2020 has definitely pushed me a little farther left. I would definitely say that it does begin, you know, whispering the idea that maybe, you know, the people in charge just aren't going to listen to us. But at the same time, I still like to believe that with the amount of progressives we've put in Congress and are going to continue to put in Congress because we are going to hold Joe Biden and the Democrats accountable should the Democrats win, that gives me hope because at the end of the day, not all wars are fought on the battlefield. At the end of the day, this is, this is 2020, and I believe we need as many progressive champions in Congress, in both chambers, and in all levels of government 
going from county chairs into the U.S. Senate in order to properly fight the people that do nothing but harm the most vulnerable and the most marginalized in our society. That's a shout out to you, AOC and the squad. (laughs) Thank you for pushing this new wave that Bernie has set us up since 2016 with. So going back to COVID and believing in the electoral system, considering that we have right now the archaic two-person debate and the disallowance of other parties at this debate stage, like you said, they require 15% popularity, mm-hmm. which if the news doesn't talk about them, Jordan, how are we going to get that 15%? And let's just put that aside. Let's just table the 15% thing. Let's just pretend we live in a perfect world where all candidates are on the stage and they get their chance to shine. PSL, that's your party. Yeah. Do they have a COVID plan? Oh, yeah, of course. They believe in socialized medicine. They believe in mutual aid. And they believe in trying to help out every single worker that is suffering in this time period. And that's the thing is that they develop socialism in general. The idea, the main core tenet behind it is community. It's a collectivist ideology at its core in America, which is very individualistic, if you couldn't tell. Yeah, it's very individualistic. We have this idea that helping people is wrong. And if if you if you get any kind of help from the government, from a friend, you're weak, you're worthless. And that's what happens is because your capital is your worth in America. And that is the issue. That's the prevailing notion we have to fight if we're going to get anywhere. Absolutely. we got to change the narrative. Exactly. And that's why, in my opinion, the strongest form of revolution would be you need to change people's minds before you can change the culture. Until you're able to impact that line of thinking that collectivism is wrong, getting help is wrong, you're going to be running in circles. And that's the reason why I think that a social democracy would be the first step. Hence brought about by the PSL. Well, for the PSL, they would go a little farther than a social democracy. They're a legitimate socialist party. Yeah. I don't know much about the PSL, but I will say that I know where you stand on things, and I think that where you want to take things, you want to... Let me just speculate for a second. You want to put things two steps ahead. That way, it's easier to make that first step forward. Yes, exactly. Because that's how compromises work. You got to be able to stretch in order to release the tension from the stretch, there's an agreement somewhere in the middle. Exactly. And that's why, in my opinion, I think shifting the Overton window left has been so vital. The more young people we have coming up that identify with a left-wing ideology, be it socialism, be it market socialism, you know, the way that it works, social democrats, the idea is the more left-wing ideologies we have, the easier it is to implement left-wing policy. And that's important because at the end of the day, you need numbers. That's what we lacked this election cycle. Well, that and, I mean, a bunch of polling machines broke and there was massive voter suppression in pretty much every single marginalized and young community. But Yeah, you know. and we could talk about how in Georgia, if there's a hyphen in your name, you don't get to vote. <laughs> I, I find that disgusting. Um, there are so many people with hyphens in their names, whether it be due to marital status or just having a maiden last name and your government last name, having that combination... It's obscene. And then there's places where it's like you have to be able to pass certain tests. Do they even still have tests where you have to know states and capitals? There are certain areas that still implement that type of protocol. What states are they? I'm off the top of my head. I will say most of them are in the South because it's the South. (laughs) (laughs) Fun fact about the South, too. I was hearing on the New York Times podcast today called The Daily that the Electoral College was something that was not originally established as a winner-take-all system 
but was made established to be decided in that way in 1820, where, fun fact, James Madison, one of the fellow founding fathers, was avidly against that type of decision-making unit of winner-take-all because he knew back then in 1820, 200 years ago, it would corrode the society. I don't know. Does society look good to you right now? No, it looks pretty shit right now, if you're going to ask me. <laughs> like, we're going to we're gonna go into Thanksgiving, and everybody's going to be, you know, quietly eating their turkey and stuff, and it's going to be after the election, regardless of who wins or loses. And the topic of the Electoral College very well will still be on the table because COVID is consuming our lives. Yeah, I think that... If one were to abolish the Electoral College, I think that the only way to set up a true democracy in the United States, in my opinion, is we need ranked choice voting. I think ranked choice voting is, in my opinion, at this point, it's the only true way we're going to get democracy in the United States. And the thing is, is that it's something we can easily implement. I believe six states have it right now. I could be wrong, but I would say at least six. And I know for a fact Maine has it, considering I I donated to Lisa for Maine for the Senate because I'm not really that impressed by... (laughs) by Susan Collins or or the Democratic nominee in any way, shape, or form at this point. <laughs> yeah, the Maine's Electoral College system. Let's give that a quick look here. Oh, it's dope. <laughs> I think, honestly, my biggest problem with the way this voting cycle has been is just in general, I think the problem is people have this idea that because it's a mail-in, it's predominantly mail-in voting, that automatically everything is going to be rigged and everything is going to be legitimized and it's going to get, going to get sent to the Supreme Court. Mm. And here's the thing, and my here's my take on that. Okay, let's hear it. Is that for one thing, the goal needs to be to produce a high enough turnout because historically speaking, Democrats win high turnout elections. Right. And so except the last one, well, that, that, wasn't a high that had that had really low turnout. How many? What was the turnout on that? Well, I can tell you how many people didn't vote. To put it in perspective, um, over a hundred million people did not vote. Hundred million. <laughs> yeah, I'll put it this way: if did not vote was a candidate, it would win. Not only would it win, Hillary would have had 51 electoral votes and Trump would have had like 19, I believe. Wow. To put that in perspective, it's a really common way of analyzing who is going to win and why they won is that historically speaking, high turnout elections tend to favor Democrats. It means that the minority vote was stronger, the women vote was stronger, and typically the younger vote was also stronger because what people don't realize is that 47% of the voting bloc is independent. At this point, what that tells me is that those are the those are the voters that you should be courting. And that's the big reason why Trump beat Hillary, is that Trump won independence, he won suburban white women, yep. and he dominated amongst white males without a college degree. A lot of people look at that and they're like, oh, well, Trump people are stupid, which, by the way, is a classist argument that Democrats love to make. Yeah. And it also further points out the fact that they are completely disillusioned when it comes to the working class. There's a reason why Hillary didn't visit Wisconsin or Michigan a m- until a month before the election, whereas Trump had visited like five times at that point. Well, as soon as she found out that her opponent was Trump, I think she just kind of like took a back seat to the whole thing. Like, I think she just kind of like rode her, uh, her coattails yeah, it's pure arrogance. And to be honest, that arrogance has not left the Democratic Party. Because at the end of the day, if they can run out a candidate that is as awful as Joe Biden, then at that point, that's just pure hubris. Because stank. Well, because here's the thing. Here's the problem is that the Democratic Party wants to talk about how they're pro-Black Lives Matter and that they're pro-minority rights. Yet they're going to run the guy that established the mass incarceration of millions of people in 1993 with his crime bill. Biden is the architect of mass incarceration. It's a really famous quote where Biden actually told Reagan that he was not extreme enough on criminal justice. And, and 
Yeah, to that level, he uh, didn't he also say that he was willing to cut Social Security, make the crime bill happen? Yes, yes, he did. In fact, <laughs> our Democratic champion of Social Security. And Social Security is going to go away anyway, due to God knows incompetence. God knows how bad that incompetence is of the budgetary plans. Oh wait, no, that's not true. The fact checkers of 2016 knew exactly how bad this economic plan was because they warned that Trump's plan in 2016 was going to put us in debt, whereas Hillary's plan was going to put us in the, I don't know if it's the black or the green, but like it was going to boost things at least. Well, yeah, because here's the problem is that traditionally speaking, conservatives love to talk about the fact that socialism, social democracy, are all good ideas, but they don't work in practice. And yet, I constantly get told about how good of an idea trickle-down economics is, even though it's been responsible for <laughs> three or four of the last recessions that have occurred in this major United States. Trickle-down economics, fun fact, you beautiful SOBs, has been going on for the last 80 years. Trickle-down economics does not work. What you're relying on is the moral compass of corporations in the United States. At the end of the day, if the government is going to bail them out, if the government is going to subsidize anything that big businesses do, they're going to look at that and say, oh, wow, how can I further maximize my profit? Yeah. Because think about it, think about it. With the COVID relief bill, right? Remember, it pretty much ended up being a bailout for big businesses. I mean, Shake Shack got $7 million from the PPE. And, this and they, did they, they never returned that money, right? No, no, they did. Oh, okay. Which, you know, they're pretty ethical for that. But at the end of the day, they had no business getting it. The PPE was only designed to support and promote small businesses. Yeah. Why is Shake Shack getting it? Why is Nancy Pelosi's husband getting a piece of it? And that's what I mean by when people try to make it out to be as though the Democrats are this ethical, angelic party. They're not. They've never been. Yeah. I remember telling you this fun fact. They like to tell me every single day on MSNBC, CNN, about how we wish things could go back to the way they were and how Obama's biggest controversy was a tan suit. And you know what? Guess what? Like I told you in the car, if Obama had to apologize once a day for every single civilian he murdered via drone strike, he would be apologizing for three years. <laughs> but again, his biggest controversy was a tan suit. Well, let's not forget that uh, that one time he was in the uh, the food line. I love how Fox like pinpoints these very niche situations where, like, in regular civilian lifestyle, they're just criticizing him as a person, yeah. not even as a president. They're just like. Look at this guy. He's in here getting hot dogs, asking for mustard. Yeah, because here's the thing. At the end of the day, the GOP, typically, they don't make a policy-based argument. What they tend to do is they tend to disparage and commit character assassination, yeah. historically speaking. Here's the reality of it. Basically, conservative policy does not make sense in 2020. It doesn't make sense. No. And there's the fact that here's another thing. Conservatives historically don't, they don't believe in deficit spending. Nope. So when you have a deficit that is around $3 trillion, you're going to have to do some deficit spending, especially considering, oh, wait, what's that? Oh, we're in our seventh month of mass eviction and mass joblessness. And, oh, what's that? Rent is due and a bunch of people are going to get kicked out because they don't have money to pay for rent. Yeah, I wonder where all these people are living, especially those 545 kids that don't have their parents. Well, here's the thing. That's an interesting point you bring up. They were really quick to run that headline. And it kind of bothered me because under the last four years of Obama, significantly more people were deported under Obama than Donald Trump. Deported? Significantly. Man. And that's why it's hilarious to me. They like to make this argument that, again, Obama was a champion of the marginalized people. I'm like, no, he wasn't. 
he was marginally better than Donald Trump domestically. But what we're talking about here is, here's the thing, when you're fiscally conservative, isn't your idea supposed to be you don't believe in wasteful government agencies? Yeah, and there are there are a couple from the FDR era that exist, but oh, see, the, they could be argued. The wasteful government agency I'm thinking of is ICE. ICE has no reason to exist. And when I say that, I mean, we already had Border Patrol and security. ICE has only been around since 2003. Does PSL have a perspective on ICE? Do you know? Oh, yeah. The PSL perspective is essentially they, I don't want to say they want open borders per se, but they definitely wouldn't be having the American version of the Gestapo running around tracking immigrants. They wouldn't have to. Exactly. Because their beliefs are that we can not fully assimilate, but because assimilation falls under the lines of culture. Yeah. But include them into the economic and also population. Yeah, precisely. Just on the numbers base. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is that for me, when I think of a wasteful governmental agency, my thought process is how would our government function without it, technically speaking. And the thing is, is that with Border Patrol and Security, we've had that agency since the inception of the United States. ICE has only been around since 2003. It was literally made in response to 9-11 and in all honesty, a majority of its arrests are just Western propaganda. <laughs> I thought that was the Department of Homeland Security. No, the, D- the DHS was established around the same time. Oh, so it was just an extension of that to address the borders? Yeah. Mm. And here's the thing. I don't mind if you want to defend the country. The problem lies in the fact that ICE is inhumane. Everyone's talking about, oh, no, Trump has the kids in cages. Trump has the kids in cages. Obama and Biden built the cages that these kids are in. My and- mind is blown. And that's the thing, is that people want to act like there's some bipartisan divide separating these two people from these inhumane actions, and that's not correct at all. And that brings us to the next point that I wanted to make, is that a lot of leftists on social media have been feeling the need to bash people who want to vote third party because they don't want to vote for either the GOP or the Democrats. And frankly, if you want my honest opinion, I think that you're a fucking moron if you're going to vote, if you're going to shame leftists from voting third party. Because you know what? First off, if you're a leftist, you're already having to pick between two awful candidates who both endorse war, endorse drone strikes, endorse the police state, endorse the mass incarceration of multiple marginalized people, and who believe that for-profit insurance is humane. They already have to go against their core beliefs in order to, in theory, vote Donald Trump out. So instead of shaming them for voting Joe Biden, just let them be, because at the end of the day, you know their thought process. But at the same token, if you're respecting the people that are voting for Joe Biden, you should be extending the same courtesy to people who want to vote third party because they don't want to endorse a racist, an accused rapist, or a warmongerer. And that's their decision. And that's what people don't understand is that the most annoying thing, in my opinion, is when Democrats try to say, we agree with you on 90% of the issues. And I'm just like, oh, I mean, I want to socialize medicine because long term over 10 years would actually save money. Oh, well, you just want a government handout. First off, how is it a government handout? At the end of the day, that's my money. Yeah. So all I'm asking for is for my money to be used on healthcare instead of being used to buy fighter jets and build a wall in 2020 when, I don't know if you know, Pat, but airline travel is a thing. Wait. <laughs> and, and so are boats. Wait, Boeing isn't in the ground yet? <gasps> you know, oh my God. A wall? However will they get around it? Oh, it's, no, it's, dude. it's almost like you can sail or fly over a wall and it's not a massive waste of money, which, you know, the conservative party used to be against that. But I mean, I guess anything to be racist, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I heard on um, Jimmy Kimmel about the hypocrite 
like the hypocritical nature of Trump. And you brought up voter shaming. And I know that we bash Trump a lot. I have a lot of family that like Trump. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure a lot of you beautiful SOBs out there do too. Whether it be for the economics, the religion, which by the way, religion shouldn't just belong to either party. It should be just your own thing. That's how I look at religion at least. This country, which everybody touts the amendments, being fundamentally sound on freedom of uh, speech and expression and the separation of church and state, you're allowed to be a Christian or a Roman Catholic or any of the religions out there. But when you have a candidate that, ironically enough, with all those facts in mind of the base of this country and the base of the amendments, standing against them openly, that's where I just, I come to question. You can make your decision on November 3rd to vote for Trump. You can make your decision to vote for Biden. That's your choice. The tough thing that we're trying to bring out here today is that there are policies and there are problems in this country that Jordan and myself are trying to show you that there are other parties out there willing to hyper-focus, like the PSL party or the Green Party, that are trying to focus on problems like the environment, climate change, or socialized health care and... Anti-interventionist. There you go. So, you know, what we've been talking about, we've been riffing, but when it all boils down, it's up to you at the end of the day. It's up to you to decide what this country can do going forward. And right now, with how the debate is set up and how the media sets it up and how the vote is going to be cast, just keep in mind that the Electoral College and your vote, they are related. Your vote still matters in the Electoral College. So get out there and vote. But just know that these tough topics are still going to be around after the election. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I would say for the election, by the way, if I had to put a prediction on the election, we should definitely do I that. I think that as of right now, I do have Biden winning. I have Biden winning a relatively close race, though. I have Biden winning with 291 electoral votes as opposed to Donald Trump's 247. That's pretty close. And it, it's like the fourth or fifth closest election in U.S. history if it would have boiled down that way. But in all honesty, the main reason why is I think Arizona is going to go blue. I think that North Carolina is going to go blue. I think that at that point, I, I believe Michigan is going to flip back to blue, in all honesty. And I think that in general, that would be enough to win Biden the election. Now, the only way I see that not playing well, if Trump were to hold on to Pennsylvania, mm. because Pennsylvania is considered the decider of the election. Yeah, that's how it was in 2016. And the thing is, is that I think the polling is favoring Biden pretty well. But what I would look at is the gubernatorial election, because Tom Wolf destroyed the Trump endorsed Republican challenger. I believe Governor Wolf had about had about 57 percent of the vote. Wow. So it was a pretty it was a pretty convincing win. And I think that obviously you can't always gather voting information from a gubernatorial race. But if one had to guess, I would say PA would go for Biden too. But in my opinion, if you want to know, if you want to try to gauge how the race is going, look at how fast Virginia reports their votes. Because the longer it takes for Virginia to report, the more likely it's going to be that Trump is going to win. Because I don't know if you remember, because we watched the results come in together last time. Oh, my God. I and, was up all night. And Virginia didn't report until there was like 84% of the vote in. That's the first sign that things really aren't going well. So I would say for that. But aside from the election 
prediction, you brought up a really good point before that I just wanted to further address, and it was about freedom of speech. Yeah. I believe freedom of speech is completely under attack in this country, 150%. The cases in regards to Julian Assange and Edward Snowden, I think, are great examples of that. I like where you're going with it. Tulsi Gabbard brought up legislation about protecting whistleblowers and protecting people who report crimes the government commits. That is important because there is nothing more foundational in the history of our country than freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and journalistic integrity. I think it is complete nonsense at how much freedom of speech is under attack in this country because you've seen it. You remember when Bernie went on the Whoopi Goldberg show. I'm sorry, The View, but it's the Whoopi Goldberg show. <laughs> and on The View, they pretty much did nothing but berate Senator Sanders the entire time. Or there was another time where I was talking to you about this in the car. Yeah. When results from Nevada came out and Chris Matthews said, the brown shirts are going to shoot me in the park about Just a man who literally had family pass away in the Holocaust. How disingenuous that is. And that's somebody that's on the mainstream media ready to give you the, the truth. And that's the problem is that the American media loves to attack people that go against the status quo. They do it with Donald Trump all the time. The reality of it is a lot of the things we don't like about Trump are applicable to President Obama as well. And the complete difference in media coverage on both on both of them, they both endorsed drone strikes in the Middle East. Yeah. Both of them have had income inequality explode under them. Both of them tout the need and respectability of private health insurance. And at the end of the day, both of them believed at one point in endorsing manufacturing in the United States. But at the end of the day, only one of them saved the automobile industry. I mean, Obama pretty much saved the Midwest, and that's something I will give him credit for. He did bail them out. But at the same time, with Trump, Trump has also been trying to fix manufacturing. But the difference is, when Trump tried fixing manufacturing, I mean, <laughs> Goodyear left. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he put up the tariff in the tariff war with China, and it pushed companies like Ford, GMC, right out the window. Yeah, and that's the thing, is that you can be America first. I'm not going to lie. I am kind of against that, but here's the thing. You can sell me on that if the working class is benefiting. But as we've come to realize, and as COVID has exposed, the working class people in America, they're sick, they're homeless, they're hungry, they don't know how they're going to get their next meal, they don't know how their kids are going to get access to medication that they need. At that point, making America great again should be the priority. But at this time... It seems like the two major parties are doing nothing but fighting. And that's that's the worst part, in my opinion. Trump authored a stimulus bill. Is it wide-ranging? No. But at the end of the day, Trump had a stimulus that was ready to go like that. And it had a second round of checks. It didn't have increased unemployment. But at the end of the day, it was getting money to people. And Pelosi decided, no, we're not going to do that. Because she's holding off on it because she thinks if she passes this relief bill, it'll help Trump's chances to get reelected. Yeah. And you should not be playing partisan politics with people's lives. No. Because you this know what? not the time for that. At the end of the day, people remember that. They don't forget that kind of behavior. And that's the problem, is that the Democrats believe that if Trump were to get elected out, that they can get away with this kind of inhumane treatment of the working class. Yeah. At the end of the day, we do not have a Republican or a Democratic Party. We have two corporatist parties. It's like the Super Bowl, honestly. And know. it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. No. With, with the way that we treat politics in America, we treat it as two sports teams fighting. Which allows for this lack of decorum, like you brought up with the 1968 election, 
the first televised, well, no, that was 1960, right? It was the first televised one. The JFK-Nixon debate. Yeah. That was the prime example of treating your opponent with respect. And in this time of video games and highly competitive, hyper-awareness of people's perspectives and stances on things, it's been misconstrued that if you show any sign of weakness or respect to your opponent, that you're deemed as somebody that is faltering in your belief yeah, and completely weak against your opponent, which is not the case at all. The fact that you're able to show your opponent strength, or not strength, respect, is a feat of strength. You're treating them as your equal. You don't want to treat them as your inferior because that means you're just beating up on somebody that's your inferior. Yeah, exactly. I think that the whole way that our government is meant to work is through compromise and by sharing ideas and allowing the American people to vote on these ideas under one agenda. And that agenda should be set as a precedent to allow these third parties into the spotlight. They need to get put out there. Yeah, exactly. Party like PSL, Green Party, they need to be on that debate stage. There needs to be exactly what you talked about earlier, the voting system. What was the name of it again? Ranked choice voting. Ranked choice voting. Remember that that's where we want America to go. We, we need a change in the voting system, and that will, in turn, change how the media looks at the voting system. I think that, in my opinion, one of the other big takeaways from this election cycle is that we need more independent media. The amount of people that get their information from MSNBC and CNN... I love is, CNN. I'm guilty. ...is unbelievable because, to me, they just... They smear the left wing. They think, for whatever reason, they think being against the Republicans is a, is a policy decision, as if they stand for something. And the reality of the matter is you need to give the American people things to vote for, not against. And they've been doing it since 2000. But we need to vote Gore because Bush is a fascist. We need to vote Kerry because Bush is a fascist. We need to vote for Obama because... McCain is a fascist. We need to vote for Obama because Romney is a fascist. We need to vote Hillary because Trump is a potential fascist. And now, here we are, 2020, we need to vote for Biden because Trump is a fascist. Yeah. The last two decades have not been kind to our generation, the millennial generation. And we've been left in the dark about who to vote for, why should, why we should vote. And then when Bernie shows up and gets people motivated, gets people interested gets people our age asking the question, by the way, Jordan and I are 25 and 24, but I digress. When you get motivated like that, it shows that we can make a difference, that our voice matters, yeah, and, and we can do it. And the problem is, is that, you know, the DNC openly saying that they don't have to have fair elections, they're not entitled to fair elections, it's ridiculous, because we, we all saw the court case in 2016 about how the DNC rigged the election for Hillary. And then in 2020, they didn't even have to rig it because all they did was suppress the vote. The head of the Democratic Party resigned, by the way, after that. And 2020, when you think about the mass voter suppression, like here's an example, UCLA, a school of like 40,000 people, they had one polling machine. There were people, in, there were kids in Texas waiting to vote. They waited eight hours. And people are always like, oh, well, that's on the young kids. They should vote. Well, guess what? Most people, 18 to 21, they go to school and they work. They can't wait eight hours. So the easiest way around that is make election day a holiday, number one. And number two, the biggest problem for me is I think it is really shitty of the older generations to consistently, for one, vote against their own their own self-interest because no matter what, they're going to be voting for a candidate that has historically advocated for cutting Social Security. So thank you for that. 
And then there's the fact that they they want to deny us the right to live the same quality of life that they did. And that's what gets me. A lot of people forget under Eisenhower, who, by the way, was a Republican president, we had a marginal tax rate of 91% on the incredibly wealthy. Yeah, wage gap was completely, the gov- well, not completely non-existent, but it was it was livable. It wasn't something that we had to be up in arms about. I remember, I remember seeing this chart where it talked about how back in 1965, to afford a four-year school, you only had to work 24 hours a week. You know how much you would have to work? Minimum wage, mind you. You know how many hours you'd have to work minimum wage to afford a four-year school a week? Probably 80. 163 hours. And to put this in perspective, since 1970... Oh, no. Do I even want to hear it? You you do. (laughs) Since 1970, worker productivity has gone up 80%. And you want to know how much wages have gone up? Like 0.01%. They've gone up 11. 11%? And these are two things that... Here's the thing. In a free market, in a free market capitalistic society, these two spots in the chart are supposed to be on top of each other. When worker productivity goes up, wages are supposed to go up. And they're supposed to adjust for inflation because inflation does occur over time. Yeah. But, you know, allegedly socialists don't understand how economics work. But anyway. I got a two on my AP economics again. So, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't take offense, but I'll let you ride this out. <laughs> it's just, it's annoying because at the end of the day, I just feel as though the older generation has consistently robbed us of an experience of attempting to live the same quality of life that they did. At the end of the day, during the New Deal coalition from 1940, no, not even that, longer than that, from about 1933 to around 1969 with Johnson, we had mass governmental spending. We completely made investments in education. We invested in infrastructure. And all of that is gone now because we had we had the New Deal. We had the New Frontier. We had the Great Society. We had the Fair Deal. We had mass governmental programs established to help eliminate income inequality and try to make life livable in the United States for the working class. With also holding the idea that if you work hard you earned it but you weren't discredited based on your class of where you were working you Mm -hmm. could work at mcdonald's just like you said you could work at mcdonald's part-time and be able to live somewhere and pay for school yeah because what a lot of people always forget is that back in the 50s and the 60s when you know the good old days as that generation likes to refer to it as you're right it was the good old days they paid you to own a house The government subsidized housing for people so that way they could get that land off of their hands and try to make money off of it. Now, it seems to me that the only way we try to sustain any kind of profitability is through the military-industrial complex, Wall Street, and at this point, pretty much exploiting workers to the bare bones. I remember I saw an article where the average minimum wage now is $7.25 federally. That's still it? Yeah, (laughs) except for New York and New Jersey. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine trying to live off of that. And here's the thing, people, are, people, they love this talking point of, oh, well, those jobs are supposed to be meant for like high school kids who just want to make an extra, a little bit of extra money in the summer. First off, that's an incredibly privileged take because at the end of the day, not everybody went to college, not everybody went to high school. We have a lot of people that immigrate here. That need jobs. And that don't know English or there's a, a language barrier or just in general, like a job barrier. Exactly. And for people to act like any kind of full-time work is invalid. Technically speaking, aren't you yourself invalidating capitalism if you think that somebody isn't worth investing in? And that's the problem, is that we have a debt-based economy. It's that individualism. 
you got to pick yourself up. You got to be able to get to college, and and get into the oh you want my money then you got to get into my line of work or a similar line. But I think uh, before we get too carried away on this topic, again I want to stress as a guest to the Tough Topic show, we want to come out and say that all of our riffs today it's based on the premise that when you vote on November third, you have to know what you're voting for whether it be for biden for trump for the green party psl any of them there's six parties on the ballot and we recommend you mail in your ballot you have time you have up until election day 8 p.m to mail in your ballot regardless of who you vote for know that this isn't the end of the presidential problems or voting problems in this country Understand that the Electoral College should be adjusted or abolished. And you beautiful SOBs, we trust that you can make the right decision. Jordan, how do you want to take us out of here? So the one message I would like to share is no matter who you vote for, I think that everybody should be kind to one another. I think that this is especially true in leftist Twitter, specifically since I know you guys are going to be listening to this. Shout out to you leftists. Yeah, because at the end of the day, we have to take attacks from the right, from the liberals. So the one thing I would say is it's very counterproductive for us to attack each other. I think that everybody should be kinder to the nice little social democrats because they're almost they're there. <laughs> they're almost there. You just have to push them farther. So I just think we all need to focus on mobilizing and trying to grow both the progressive movement and the left-wing movement in the United States. We've got a lot of county chairs up in 2021. We've got midterms in 2022. And we can get stronger for 2024. So I think that no matter what happens November 3rd, the real fight starts November 4th. That's my birthday. <laughs> Love you, SOBs. Thank you to everybody who listened to the first episode. And I just want to say that I really appreciate anybody that has given me a lot of the positive reinforcement I've gotten over the last year. If you want to follow me on Twitter, my handle is at JJ is a socialist because I'm not trying to hide anything. <laughs> the quiet parts out loud. My name's Pat Rotundo and I am at Rotundo on Twitter. And Jordan, thank you very much for having me on and you beautiful SOBs. Thank you for listening today. Yeah, thank you again, all you beautiful SOBs for listening. Oh